And welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast all about your favorite book, The Red Pyramid. Yes, we're assigning you a favorite book. It's not a very good one. Have fun defending that at parties. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a decent <laughs> book, but it's it's a wild choice for a favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I we're we're both we're both a bit tired. We're both a bit we're both very I think both of us today just got our, our COVID booster. If You'll have to forgive us if like the Discord call drops out, but we just like don't notice and keep communicating with the 5G chips in our brains. <laughs> That's right. In which case, I guess the, the viewer wouldn't hear it, unless we're having totally different conversations. I mean, this is just encouragement. If you, if you get your vaccine, it means that you can have Unwise Girls live streamed into your brain while we're recording it. Which means you get to hear all the terrible gaffes that get cut out. I mean, there's not that many. You get to hear about, like, I don't know, a a joke that is, like, I don't know. That lasts a bit too long and maybe one of us doesn't get it and we have to, like, explain it. Uh Uh-huh. And then, like, (laughs) oh, maybe, like, a part where, like, I'm talking about mythology a little bit too long and Jane is just like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Uh-huh. Just not really comprehending what's happening. And parts like this, which I'm also going to trim down. <laughs> anyway. See? This is this is why you need to get that booster. Anyway. Yeah, so we're both a little a little loopy, uh a little well, a little achy. But we're gonna power through. Um I I just finished reading the chapters like five minutes ago. <laughs> so let's fucking go. Jane, you got some summaries for us today? Actually wait, before we before we start. I think we often talk about Rick Riordan's works as like a treasure of many people's childhoods, but not necessarily something that is like hugely impactful. Yeah, that's that's probably been a fair assessment of how we talked about them so far. On like the culture at large, at least. Mm-hmm. But like, this is something I've just found out is that Percy Jackson, the Olympians, has been on the New York Times like bestseller list for 600 weeks in a row yeah that that shook me to my core when you told me about that it's that's over a decade of constant constant like what do, what do we do we have thoughts on that it's it's really strange to me because it doesn't feel like like the cultural impact of percy like you know it's popular but i don't feel like the impact of it is proportional to has been on the bestseller list for that long. There aren't, like, quiz shows about Percy Jackson happening. And thank God. Maybe once this fucking new TV series comes out, right? Yeah, that might be, like, the the point at which it kind of explodes in popularity. A shot in the arm for the series, if you will. (laughs) Which makes it kind of sleepy for a few days, and its arm really hurts, and it has a headache. That's right. Um, and also afterwards it gets really popular. Hell yeah. That'll happen to us, I promise. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, um, I guess con- congratulations to Percy Jackson. Well, well done, Rick. I mean, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wonder uh, if it's maybe like a thing of like just libraries are buying it in like massive quantities. And that means that when, when the TV show does drop, all the kids are going to go to the library and start reading it. I I think that has to be true. I hope that's true. Use your local library. Yeah, use that, I say. Actually, no, I do use my local library. I've still got my card in my purse with, like, several books that I checked out with it almost a decade ago. (laughs) Don't use it for that. (laughs) Uh, Don't do that. Okay, the thing about libraries is they're not just for, like, physical books. You can, like, get, like an app that just like lets you browse the entire ebook catalog of your library like i do and check them out from there or like you can uh, use the computers you can hold meetings it's not it's not fun it's not hard to have fun when you have a library card yeah i mean the local library where i lived um in like 2010 uh 
just like for for no reason for no like justifiable educational reason that i could suss out installed like three nintendo wii's that's so good they just they just like nailed three tvs to a pillar plugged nintendo wii's into them and then just kind of let people play with them holy shit i don't i don't know what games are on it but you know that was cool they got the wii sports that comes with the wii probably probably anyway jane you want to tell us about these chapters I, I will. I wrote these summaries while I was freezing my ass off in line from my vaccine, so I'm, I'm sorry if they're not very good. <laughs> uh, chapter 29, Carter. Zia sets a rendezvous. The gang steal an RV as they head to El Paso in search of Nephthys. Bast is freaking out because she feels as if she broke her promise to protect the kids by bailing on them in the land of the dead. She tells Carter and Sadie that their parents had big plans for them hoping that their pharaoh blood would help reinvigorate the House of Life and help them reconnect with the gods. Carter goes onto the back deck of the RV to do some sword practice, where he's contacted by a vision of Zia. She tells him that he needs to meet her in Las Cruces, Mexico, to negotiate a truce between the kids and the house, so they can deal with Set together. She also claims she needs to tell him something that she can only say in person. Carter worries that this is a trap, especially when Zia tells him not to trust Amos if they run into one another again. Chapter 30. Carter. Bast keeps a promise. The gang arrive in El Paso and head to the river, hoping to find Nephthys there. On the way down, Carter realises that in a previous cycle, this was actually where Isis and Horus hid out to recover Osiris' body. Horus is conspicuously silent when Carter asks him if he thinks anything bad will happen this time. While Bast and Sadie futz around on the riverbank trying to contact Isis, Carter investigates some suspicious magic stuff further down the river. This turns out to be a truck-sized crocodile, which Carter manages to just about beat. He heads back over to Bast, who has just finished dispatching her own giant croc. It injured Sadie before she could kill it, though, and Khufu has to take her to safety. Bast and Carter then face down the Seaman Lord Sobek. Carter refuses to let Horus take control during the fight, and even between himself and Bast, they can't defeat Sobek. Eventually, Bast has no choice but to throw herself at Sobek and drag him into the duart with her sacrificing herself to take him down. Only her host, Muffin, escapes the final attack, rescued by an exhausted Carter. With two more giant crocs closing in, Carter believes he's beaten, until a third crocodile, much paler than the other two, leaps over his head. It's Philip of Macedon, and he's accompanied by Amos, who grabs Sadie, leading the kids to safety. Chapter 31. Sadie. I deliver a love note. Sadie wakes up in the middle of the White Sands Missile Range in New Mexico, with Carter, Amos, and Khufu. Amos explains that Set probably let him go on purpose, and he's worried that it's some sort of trap for the kids. While he's captured, he found that Set hasn't taken a host yet, instead containing his essence in the pyramid. He didn't see Julius while he was there, but he heard monsters talking about how he's locked in the middle of the pyramid, and is going to be used to power his destruction of North America. Sadie flashes back to a conversation with Nephthys at the river, Apparently, the goddess is stuck somewhere in a sleeping host, so she couldn't appear to Sadie in person, but could deliver some sort of message. We don't actually hear what this message was, as at this point, Carter interrupts her train of thought to tell her about what happened to Bast, and she pretty much breaks down. Amos tells her that Bast might be able to come back, but it's going to take hundreds of years, so they may actually never see her again. Sadie lies down to rest after being handed that news, and her bar leaves her body, encountering Geb. She delivers Nut's love letter to him, and in exchange, he offers some advice, telling her that she needs to go to the quote-unquote place of crosses. Like Nut, he also warns Sadie that Set might be more than he appears, before her bar heads back to her body. Chapter 32. Sadie. The Place of Crosses. Khufu takes Muffin back to Brooklyn to keep her safe, escorted by Philip of Macedon, who is apparently actually a wax model. Meanwhile, the Canes consider their next move. They tell Amos that they can't explain their plan to him because Set might be listening through him, which he grudgingly accepts. He's in favour of making a beeline for Phoenix and going straight for Set, but Carter insists that they need to stop in Las Cruces. He won't explain why, but Sadie agrees with him when she realises that it might be the place of crosses Geb told her about. Amos signs off on this plan and they board his boat, which can apparently fly, and head off to Las Cruces. After stopping for some food, the trio run into Zia, she implores them to surrender to De- to Desjardins, but none of them trust him enough to even consider it. 
She tries to take Carter off to the side to tell him whatever it is she needed to say in person, but before she can, Desjardins shows up, with the other two magicians from the first gnome in tow. Amos blasts Zia, ragdolls the other two magicians, and then engages in a massive duel with Desjardins. Zia gets up and begs Desjardins to back off, but he won't hear of it. Amos then tells the kids to get back to the boat and escape, but Zia won't leave without helping him. Certain that if Desjardins takes him down and has a chance to focus down the three children, they're dead. She summons a pillar of fire which will taste Desjardins and keep him busy for the next little while, but it to totally wipes her power and knocks her out. Desperate now, Desjardins summons the power of the god Sekhmet. We don't hear about who this is or what their power is, but it spooks Carter enough for him to agree to bail on Amos, and the three kids run like hell for the boat. So, what do you think of these chapters? Yeah, I mean, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty much the same on these. Pre they're fine. Pretty, yeah, they're fine. They're pretty good. Like, I, I had fun reading them. I think there were there weren't any like super low points. Um, it hits hit some good beats. Everything it needs to be. I I think the best thing about these chapters is like that fight scene in Las Cruces at the end, because I just I love how competent Amos is in a fight. Like, you can really feel that he's, like, a, compet a competent, experienced magician who has been doing this shit for years. It's simultaneously that, and also that it adds so much suspense with, like, that little that little nudge of, like, hey, why is Amos using storm magic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, chaos magic, Desjardins calls it. Yeah. Like, since when is since when has Amos Pekin become a master of storm magic? Like... It's, 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 you don't, don't fucking trust Amos. That's, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, it, it sure was a storm that destroyed the plane that the first known magicians were traveling in. Yeah, Set sure is god of storms. <laughs> uh, got like, ah, uh, there's, I think that's a pretty good, a pretty good thread here. Like, um, I think that Amos is like acting just weird enough but I, I feel like the the the, the clever the, the attentive reader will will notice it. Okay, I, I'm apparently not the attentive reader because what I really liked about these was that Amos felt so much like the character that we'd met before, but is also like has this thread of like like you you do question him because of the stuff we've been told, and it's kind of that tension between the two things that the suspense comes from. I guess that's more so what I mean. I don't mean that like Amos is acting weird oh, apart okay. from a few a few points like i think that the part where amos is like and this has to do with a lot of context i think especially it has to do with who's like head we're in at that time um during the final chapter we're in the point of view of sadie and there's this part where zia is like you know it was it must have been mel and sadie's like oh sure your mel did it and, like, for Sadie to think, yeah, that's, you know, of course. And Dejadon, not Dejadon, uh, Amos is, like, 100% pushing. Like, yeah, this is a trap. Like, uh, don't don't trust her. Don't trust Dejadon. Um, but I think that some of that pushing might have felt weirder from, like, Carter's end, for instance. I don't know. I feel like Amos is well within his rights to not trust these people. Like, that they did in their first appearance, and he knows about this because they've told him, consider killing his niece and nephew that's fair and like he's obviously he as like a magician and a person with royal blood he probably has like that same history with them yeah although i i i, I do think from that moment there is that the part that really caught me off guard was when he just fucking domes zia yeah like without even flinching he just electrocutes this child and blasts her into a table that that definitely is one of those like moments where you're like is something up with him? Yeah, the high competency magic use, like you said, is really cool. Like Zia knocking herself out by performing the most powerful flame spell there is. Yeah. That like hunts down Dejadin for like twelve hours. And <laughs> that that's like good shit. And him being desperate enough to call like to divine power, it's very, very intense. It's very intense. I love that the way it's set up is that it will just like chase him and bother him for like 12 hours. And I just love this mental image of him just like having to run in a straight line for 12 hours <laughs> <laughs> with this giant God. fucking pillar of fire behind him. It's really good. Um, but I think one of the reasons that I also don't 
like obviously there are a lot of reasons, but one of the reason big reasons I don't trust Amos is because of the conversation with Gab. Mm-hmm. Because Gab says uh, something a little bit interesting. Um, you know, they're talking about set again. There's kind of a familiar conversation. We've had it before. Gab's like, I love all my children. Sadie's like, well, Seth's a fucking bastard. And <laughs> Gab's like, well, sure, but he's also not just all that. And he's also family. And Sadie's like, well, he's not my family, so I don't care. And Gab's like, are you sure about that? <laughs> so. Oh, I, I'd read that more as like, she's hosting ISIS. And so in that way, she's linked to set. But that is actually a much more sensible implication to take from it. I think it's supposed to read both ways. Mm-hmm. Like, I think maybe on the surface, it's supposed to read like, I guess whichever one the reader is like thinking of at that moment. But I think under the surface, it is, does have an implication of like, it's part of the mystery. Because I, 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 I do still think this is leading up to Amos being the host of set personally. Because it is fucking weird that Set wouldn't take a host when, like, Carter saw Set earlier in the book and he was making a big deal out of needing to find one. Right. Well, apparently, like, the I'm I'm the idea that he's being hosted by like the pyramid itself isn't like entirely out of line or anything, because we know that like Anubis could can be hosted by the graveyards. Like that is nut true. Is hosted by the sky. Um. But I I do still think that there might since Amos is the one who tells us that it does feel a little suspicious. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of Anubis, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think is up with the fact that Sadie saw Anubis as like a mortal mortal headed boy, uh, but everyone else saw him as the like the the jackal headed one? I I maybe this is just like I mean this is like 2010. This book came out. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think this might just be some Twilight vampire diaries ass. Oh, everyone sees him as a monster, this cool emo kid. But I see through him to the, the real boy inside. I think that's right. Like, I think that's <laughs> basically it. I don't, I don't hate that. Like, that's no, pretty... no, definitely not. It's, it's very, like, <laughs> I don't know, Rick Riordan trying to reach the girls in the audience. I don't know. <laughs> It's, I mean, this this was, like, contemporary with Twilight. I think so. And, and like, there's... There's nothing wrong with trying to, like, maybe sneak a bit of that in, because it's not that obtrusive to the story. Right, and it's not, like, that's, like, a very classic thing, right? Like, Beauty mm-hmm. and the Beast. Yeah. Like, that, it, goes, it goes far back. Well, my favorite movie, Beastly. Yeah, also contemporary with Beastly. <laughs> oh, fuck, it is. <laughs> like... I don't know when Beastly came out compared to this. Probably a couple of years after, but also maybe not. <laughs> I'm going to indulge in uh, the the podcast crime two weeks running and look at the Wikipedia for Beastly. As long as we don't just sit here reading the Wikipedia page for Beastly, then it's probably fine. <laughs> oh, 2011. Yeah, so Ooh. you were right. So Beastly was inspired by the Kane Chronicles. <laughs> People always forget about this adaptation. <laughs> Which is probably on about the same level of quality as the other two, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I. Um, but yeah, I think that I don't know. There are a lot of interesting godly encounters in this one. Uh, I especially want to call out the Sadie's meeting with Geb. I love this bit. Same. It's just it's. It's got a very striking like imagery to it, like the idea of Sadie growing to like three hundred feet tall and being able to like see things that she shouldn't really be able to gives the like the mental image of her standing on like a mario galaxy planet or something right it's like the earth has shrunk itself down to speak to her almost yeah it's very cool i i i like that <laughs> the nuts first instinct after being able to contact her husband after thousands of years of separation was to just send him a selfie yeah yeah it's sweet right it is sweet no i I, i'm not joking i genuinely think that's that's quite good agreed uh but like also you know if i could have one one gift i maybe i would send like i don't know a nice card or something no actually a (laughs) selfie's good i don't know self selfie's pretty good 
I can't think of anything necessarily better. A copy of The Red Pyramid, uh, the listener's favorite book. Oh, of course, of course. The, the, the listener would love that. Yeah, but this scene, especially with the way that Geb is just like, I think that having the representation of the Earth being like a shifting mass of sand dunes mm-hmm. is like, mwah. Like that's, that, that's like picture perfect for the, you know, I don't know, for the, just like the imagery of the scene. Yeah, it works really well. And it goes against it goes against like a very like typical type, I guess. Like I think one would expect like, oh, this is the earth to be like trees and the dirt. Yeah, a bit more like uh, Gaia or something. Yeah, but but here we're getting like a more like Egyptian view of like what is the earth. Well, yeah, I mean that that would be your view of the earth, I guess, if you live on a river surrounded by desert. Uh huh. I, I I started reading um, Temple of the Cosmos this week by Jeremy Nadler. Oh, how's that? Uh, it's what is pretty that? good. Uh, so it's a book that is essentially like about ancient Egypt, like culture, religion, various things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because I I don't know. I'm not going to say Rick Riordan read this book, but I do find it fascinating that um and i i actually was like not unconvinced by the book's arguments but like i i didn't find them like not compelling what wait you you use like four negatives in that sentence uh what what do you think of the book (laughs) no i i i've read like a chapter so far but i think it's pretty interesting and like i i think its arguments are fairly sound at least um but it opens with like the author kind of going into like you know egypt's like Egyptian, like ancient Egyptian culture was inc- like extremely important um, to not just like Egypt, but the history of the world, and is like kind of necessary to view a larger history of the world. The Bas Pro Pyramid, in particular, is a great example of. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, but also then goes into like the says basically the view of the West. <laughs> tends to be defined by the ancient Greek I think the exact phrasing is like the ancient Greeks and the Israelites um, like, ah. <laughs> um and but also should be included to exp- like to expand to ancient Egypt because I, I don't know it, it's an interesting argument I, I actually would recommend this book um but I think I, it, it just what's up I don't think it would necessarily be a bad thing to accuse Rick Ryden of having read this, mainly because I'm pretty sure that, implicitly or not, we did kind of accuse him of not doing any research uh, during the first few chapters of this book. I, I that's that's definitely true. We did that a few times. <laughs> no, it's it's an interesting read so far. It seems like it has a lot of good knowledge. Um, if you just want to know what like what was up with life, what's you know what do we know? What was its house like? Ah, I get it. Thank you. See, that's one that's going to get cut out. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. But, like, okay. But anyway, I guess what all, all of that to say is that I, I guess I guess Rick Riordan's beliefs aren't so. Maybe we shouldn't have just, like, immediately made fun of them. I still think it's a little bit unhinged to put Egypt into the, the historical idea of the West, quote-unquote. <laughs> Yeah, I guess for all, I guess, yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing is simultaneously, perhaps we are treating the idea of the West with a bit too much dignity. Um, and <laughs> number two, perhaps we are. Um, and number two, I think it's still good that we view this through the lens of what we already know about Rick Riordan through like reading like the yeah. like Percy Jackson series and like what seemed to be his like kind of general political vibes and to categorize this idea the, these ideas that he's saying here within those or around them so i think I, it, it's not to say like rick riordan is now free of criticism it's just like oh it's interesting that these ideas are not just oh yeah no here. i didn't i don't think he was saying that at all cool speaking of percy jackson uh-huh i i couldn't stop thinking about when when like Carter explains that they're in um, like a missile testing range, like camping out there. I like this will this will never be proven. There is no way to tell if I'm right about this, 
But I feel like this has to be some kind of scrapped Percy Jackson encounter. Where, huh. like, Ares fires a fucking cruise missile at them or something. Like, it just, it feels like that is the kind of thing that would happen if they ended up here in Percy Jackson. And nothing's really done with the setting in, in terms of it being a missile range in this book. So it just, it, it feels to me like this might have been, like, a recycled idea from something else. I could see that being the case. I mean, I imagine Rick had a few ideas for, like, various places in the United States. I do also think it would just be very funny if Set just used a missile to just, like, cruise in and delete them. (laughs) I mean, he's supposed to, like, he's going to destroy the entirety of North America in, like, one fell blast. Maybe it's a fucking nuclear strike. (laughs) (laughs) The pyramid has the launch codes inside it in hieroglyphics. God... Um, what? Bast. Yeah, I, I was going to say, we got half an hour into this episode without talking about her big sacrifice scene. Yeah, what was the impact here? What was it like for you? It was a lot less than I felt like it should have been. Yeah, I I like Bast. Like, I like the relationship she has with the Canes. I don't I like, know, it just, yeah. it just didn't hit. It just didn't hit exactly for me. And it's really weird because when I was like rereading the chapters to do the summaries, there's like all these flags that are planted in um, like the previous chapter where she's like, oh, I I wasn't able to protect you. I, I almost broke my promise to Julius and I kind of view you as like my own kittens. Yeah, it's but, like, that, I think it feels that part like that actually, should make it very emotional. That part actually did get me. Like, I thought that was very sweet. It's a very sweet moment. But the death itself just, like, wasn't there. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like Sobek is, like... the in, he, he feels less intimidating than the fucking Scorpion God from earlier. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. It's like, the description isn't vague exactly, but it, it's, it's like, I don't really have a clear picture in my mind of, like, who Sobek is. I think there are, there are two things that were, that were, like, undermining it for me. One is that Rick can't outline who Sobek is because, as I mentioned in the summaries, he is the Seaman Lord. That's his domain. I mean, he, I mean that's not all of it. But like, <laughs> they could have said like the God of Fertility and like. That's true. Also, crocodiles. I'm just saying, who knows what was in that river? Anyway, the- <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! I mean, he said that the rivers were made of his sweat, not anything else. Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. Which are, you know, already salty. A bit of Jesus Christ. Okay, moving on. <laughs> moving on. The other thing is that I was throughout this fight, I was waiting for like the phase two that I felt like was really obvious. Uh huh. Where it's like he is this giant fucking crocodile man, and Carter and Bass have to like go into their spirit forms to be able to go toe to toe with him. Uh-huh. And I was really, I was waiting for the moment where they would have him on the ropes, and then it would be like you know that bit in the Princess Bride with the guy with the sword is like, oh, I'm not actually left-handed. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that would be like, I'm not in my spirit form. And he turns into a fucking 400 foot tall, like, unbeatable alligator god. Oh, that'd be super fucked up. Yeah, that's, I I felt certain that was where it was going. And then it just, he just kind of stays the same size and then Bass dies. Did, did, um, what's her name? Oh, no. Um... The, the, the scorpion goddess have a spirit form or is she just already big i think she just turned into like a giant pile of scorpions yeah i don't i i wonder if like I the think. spirit form is just kind of reserved for our heroes in a way <laughs> you know what i mean yeah that might be the case i i get you though like the the battle just wasn't i i, I like part of it like i kind of liked carter being like okay well i gotta protect these people like that's a good element to lay in right like our yeah. hero needs to protect some people. Like, that's that's pretty good. I wonder if it's maybe just because it feels like so much is going on. Like, there's there's this family of, like, uh, Mexican immigrants in the background. There's Sadie having a conversation with Nephthys and then getting knocked out and dragged off by Khufu. There's, like, a billion alligators in the river. And, like, it's Horus fucking around in Carter's head. And there's so much going on that because of that, like fast fucking dying just kind of flies under the radar a bit i think that's like true like um everything in this chapter just kind of got compressed a little bit mm-hmm. 
like i don't know the chapter afterwards when we finally switch to sadie's pov she's like she's like oh the conversation i had with nephthys at the river and i was like what conversation like i don't remember there being a conversation and i was like oh yeah we got like a few like a few snippets of lines from like oh yeah she it just doesn't feel like i i maybe the should, do you think this would have been better if their perspective was on sadie i think that might have been actually like if she gets clubbed in the head by the crocodile at the start of the fight and it's just her like she's helpless but she's watching carter and bast fighting these crocodiles and then they start losing and she can't do anything about it that might have made it a bit more tense and suspenseful yeah i do like the the idea that like she has to be told like hey bast you know the the kitty you've always had by your side your life yeah entirely like that's a that's pretty good like i i believe her reaction i just don't share it i think is the thing yeah no entirely like it's <sighs> i'm just wondering how this could have been better and it, it's it's hard it might also be undermined by the fact that we've already had a moment where we thought oh my god bass just died and then she just kind of shows back out later <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm not convinced that she is oh, no, going to show up again later. Not. She is. She has been a She's one of the most firmly established characters in this world, and like, she, she kind of needs to be around for the for like at the very least in the next book. I think she's going to show up again. Do you say that because of any special insights you've had? Like, oh, Bast in the second book does this. Nope, genuinely no idea. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah if this was Bast's death i think i would be unhappy yeah same i i like Bast as a character i don't want i don't want this to be your goodbye like if yeah. I, I i fully suspect her to at least be taken out of the action of the events of this book i think yeah i think that's that's definitely fair because we are getting into like the point where all the the help that the kids are getting is being stripped away and they're just gonna have to fucking deal with this themselves but i think i think maybe you're right she could be like the surprise return in book two, the very, like, oh, Bast, she's back at the end of a chapter or whatever, you know. Or maybe, like, book two will be about getting Bast. Like, maybe Ooh. they find some way to get her back insignificantly last time, and they go on a quest to do that. That, who, who, who's to say? Could very well be. I don't want to open up my, like, my Kindle copy of these now, in case I just, like, go over to the second book, and it's called, like, The King Chronicles, The Search for Bast. <laughs> I was actually thinking about looking at the name and seeing if we could decipher anything from it. Uh, so, so the second book is called The Throne of Fire. Using the toilet after your roommate's gotten gonorrhea. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> is this an experience you've had recently? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't asked about that, frankly, and I don't want to. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> anyway. Hey, what what is Carter standing on in the first chapter? Like the the porch of an RV, what does that look like? I I can kind of, like there are some like decked out RVs, right? Uh, I I think I have seen a couple of them on the road like that look like almost like a fucking like entirely furnished home. You know, so it just has, like, a bit hanging off the back with an extra door on it or whatever? Like, off the back or off the side or something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying to imagine, though. I, I don't... Like, it, the idea of Carter, like, standing in there while it's moving just sets me on edge. Yeah, it's like... Like, <laughs> like I guess he's a magician, so he'll be fine, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> but... That makes me think of, like, another thing that I do really like about these chapters, that we get more of Carter's, like, rebelliousness, I guess. Like, his growing repulsion at the idea of becoming the person that Horace wants him to be, which is Horace. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, there's a specific line that I really liked, where Horace is basically like, you know, hey, you know, we're fighting, give me your body so I can help you fight Sobek. And uh, Carter just says, no, I'll die first. Like, fuck that's yeah, like, Carter. Yeah, that's like so, like, such a powerful statement, I guess. You, you know what it is? You know what I think I just put my finger on? What? 
and what maybe like the bass thing needed to like have an extra punch and also tie into this what is it because during that fight there is that moment where horus is like all right you are fucked against this guy let me take control and i feel like we need to have like a moment from carter where he's like oh god if i'd let horus take control maybe bass would still be alive Mm. and just like let him have a crisis about that i was thinking about that like and ultimately how would we want that to resolve though i guess i mean i think it it would the way to resolve it would be like you know bast would not have wanted him to do that she would not have wanted him to like functionally die for her when her job was to protect him right i agree and i think that would have been like a more interesting angle to take because we don't get much from carter with bast's death i don't think it's, yeah, it's kind of kneecapped by the, the next two chapters being from Sadie's point of view. And, like, obviously Sadie would probably want to be the character you're there with. Mm-hmm. But because Carter was in that specific position, that kind of makes you want, like like you said, you want to be in his head. You want to know what he's feeling at that time. Yeah, it just it feels like untapped potential that you could very easily put the spin on this fight that, like, it was his fault. Like, it right. wasn't really, but... No. It feels like a missed opportunity. Like, it could be a good conflict for him. Exactly, yeah. I guess that's one of the problems... Not a problem, necessarily, but that's one of the difficult things with switching perspectives. Mm-hmm. Is that you really have to decide... Well, I mean, this book has a pretty simple pattern, but also things are written in a way that the pattern can be obviously manipulated. Um, like... You have to decide what events get told from what character's point of view. And, like, in that sense, it kind of... It it, it feels like it, there's probably some difficulty in, like, figuring out, well, do I make this a Carter scene? Do I make... Or, like, do I make this Carter chapter? Because Carter has, like, you know, he has all these feelings, but Sadie would have even more feelings because of her history... Like, mm-hmm. it, there, there's difficulty there. And, like, obviously you can still show those things. But, you know, you you, you lose the internality. Yeah, and you, you couldn't even do, like... You couldn't even do, like, a multi-chap, multi-POV chapter. Just because, like, in terms of the framing device, it'd be kind of awkward to have them, like, passing the recorder back and forth in such quick succession. Oi, give me the mic, Carter. <laughs> Something like that. God. Thanks for that. Oh, no problem. Sorry for it. <laughs> I, uh, there was, I, I keep, I don't, but hey, do you, speaking of British things, Uh-oh. uh, you sent me a specific screen oh. cap <laughs> to like laugh at. Uh, can you, can you tell us about this? Yes, I sent you, uh, fuck, I don't remember what the exact wording of it was. Let me, let me find, find it. it real quick yeah ah there it is at first the desert had seemed barren and ugly to me compared to the lush greens of england now i i am gonna make a conjecture here which is that uh sadie is from london and uh-huh. therefore i doubt that she has ever seen a field <laughs> yeah there are, I... there are genuinely like like kids from london who don't know what cows are that's scary yeah i i so like maybe she like vacations maybe she has like maybe the fausts are like rich they like have like a vacation home like they live in like a a small flat i guess you do have to be rich to live in a small flat in london (laughs) yeah they they, i hmm hmm no it's it's just i've never heard i i guess like i've heard like the 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 emerald countryside or whatever i guess emerald isn't really a term you hear a lot in relation to england specifically (laughs) but uh but you know i've heard like oh the the rolling hills or whatever i feel it's very pastoral it's very like almost this probably reading way too much but it almost feels like tolkien-y I mean, yeah, that's, that's, you think of pastoral England, and the first thing you think of if you're, like, reading a book, a fantasy book, is, oh, Tolkien. Yeah, it's the Shire. Um, yeah. Um, Bag End. Now, we can, we can just say a lot of things. Um, like Nottingham Shire. Oh. Is that really what that is? There's, like, a bunch of counties of a Shire on the end of their names. I guess that's true. There's, like, Worcestershire... 
No, that's Bur- w- w- that's that hasn't got Shire on the end of it. Oh wait, uh, no, you're right, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, uh, fuck. What were we talking about? Oh, right. Yeah, it does have like so. It does have that like Tolkieny pastorally feeling. But it is kind of like, would Sadie have that experience? Is that how she thinks of England? I I seriously doubt it. I think there are very few people who live here who have that like, oh, there is some corner of a foreign field that is forever England, kind of. Uh huh. Yeah. It it just it seemed it seemed very much like Rick thought this is something a British person would say, right? <laughs> I guess it could be like. I don't know. Maybe it's like a like a comparison by hyperbole or whatever. Like, oh, you think that like compare like compared to this place, England is a lush green paradise. I mean, that's not how it's written, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We also get another another tick on the Sadie hello counter. She says hello. Oh yeah. <laughs> We also actually wait. I do. I do want to call out a good Sadie moment in comparison uh-huh. to the very funny field one. Yeah, which is just uh, I. I like the moment where like she puts the pieces together about the place of crosses and Las Cruces. Yeah, and the the line is my brain had one of those incredible moments where it actually works correctly. <laughs> and fuck yeah, me too. Sadie is so relatable. <laughs> God. I, I, I'm really growing on Sadie as a character. Like, I think she's had a lot of very subtle development in these chapters. Yeah, I I really like... Th- there's a really great moment, actually, where um, she and Carter are talking to Amos. And there is that moment where, like, she and Carter are looking at each other. And there's, like, that unspoken, no, we can't fucking trust this guy. Yeah. And, she and, you know, she says it explicitly also, but it is a good way to show, like what a good team these two have become yeah i the dynamics the relationships all the buzzwords that we use on this podcast <laughs> they're all present i like like when they're like in new mexico and like just like in a little like historic town listening to the music and like eating street food i like that that's, that's really nice definitely oh and fuck the and also the really great dig in she gets at carter uh-huh. Where he's like, oh, I had a vision about Las Cruces, and he won't elaborate. And the way she, the way that she checks is she goes, a vision of loveliness. <laughs> and he just fucking freaks out. <laughs> She's on the ball. Like, for, for context, I realize that might not make sense. That's how she cottons on that it was Zia talking to him. Yeah, exactly. Um, Sadie is just, like, very clever, I guess. Oh, actually, that's something that we need to talk about. Uh-huh. Not not quite a prophecy prediction, but I guess just like a mystery box prediction. Yeah. What do you think that Zia needs to say to Carter? I think that Zia my guess is that she wants to tell him that Amos is hosting set, but I feel like hmm. I don't know. No, cuz I feel like I feel like she'd have just gone hell for leather and said that. If she knew for right. certain. I think it like feels like it's in that same lane, but if it was just that, then I think she would just come out with it. Mm-hmm. I really was kind of hoping for a moment. Like I'm, I'm glad that these chapters went the way they did because, like you said, epic wizard battle. Mm-hmm. But I, I did kind of like there was that part where Sadie like said a spell that was just like d- divine silence or whatever. Yeah. And I was really hoping that'd be a moment where she was just able, like, everybody had to just shut up for a second. <laughs> and she was able to be just like, all right, you, you, all of us, we're going to talk now. And unfortunately, it didn't go that way. But I, I would have been curious to, like, have seen the results. Yeah, I I can, well, I mean, if she silences them all, how are they going to talk? I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Although I think actually, you know, you know what? They sh- that should have been in the book because that would have been extremely funny. Yeah, like I'll, <laughs> she's like has to figure out how to unsilence one of them at a time. Well, she has to like she just leaves them there and runs off to get a pen and paper. <laughs> what do you? There, there's a point brought up here that I think is kind of not a tick against, but it like makes me rethink something from the last few chapters we read. Uh-huh. Um. Because I know we were kind of like, well, Dejadin is obviously evil, 
But like, is he evil? Because like Carter Carter brings it up, or maybe Sadie does. He did save those people on the plane. I I'm still in the camp of like, he is evil. His agenda is just not the same as Seth's. Okay. What do you think his agenda is? If you have, if you have any theories. I think it's mostly just a case of, like, he wants to maintain the status quo. Well, like, he's just come into control of the House of Life, which has this long-running tradition of, like, do not fuck around with the gods. And if that gets, like, immediately uprooted the second he takes power, I think he's worried that that's gonna, like, you know, it'll damage his legacy in the long run, and in the short term it'll damage his legitimacy as the, like, first new chief lector in millennia. So I think it's mostly just self-interest. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good theory, especially with what we know of Dejadin and his mm-hmm. history. He's like two hundred. He's like what two hundred years old, um, and his like uncle was the guy who you know translated the Rosetta Stone, mm-hmm. and so obviously there's a lot of like, he's the newcomer. He's in, he's like newly taking power. There's a lot of like I don't know, probably some metaphors there if we want to analyze it, which I don't necessarily feel like doing because my arm hurts. But uh like your arm like hurts and we're almost an hour in. Yeah, like we're 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 ending the podcast soon, to be clear. <laughs> but uh like I, I do think at this point if his motivations were purely like I want to be in control of the house of life, that would be that would just like be perfectly great to me. Yeah, I think that that works. It doesn't need to be, like, the influence of the Dark Gods or anything like that. No. Oh, I think it is kind of cheap that um, we don't. We just don't know what Nephthys says because, like, the, the inner narration just cuts off. I guess not inner narration. It's... Wait, no, hang on. It's fucking Sadie saying it out loud into a recorder, but then she, like, interrupts her own story while she's talking with Carter's <laughs> arrival. We can't think about it. We can't think about it. <laughs> it's 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 dumb, and I want to know what was said. Basically, no. It I mean, feels like a cheap we, way of keeping that back. No, I mean, ultimately, we do get to know the main point of what was said, though. Is that oh, was wait, that? Do yeah, I mean, Nephthys tells them that she has like a sleeping host somewhere, or like something mm-hmm. to that effect. I guess I just don't feel like there's enough time left in the book to go on another quest to get Nephthys. Like we're at what, like eight hours before set fucking glasses the entire continent i mean yeah so we're also like 10 chapters left right are we oh my god yeah oh i thought we were like because again fucking kindle version with all three so i have no concept of how far through the book i am so i thought that it was literally like okay we're gonna take zia we're gonna get in the boat we're gonna fly to phoenix for the finale uh anything else to talk about with these chapters i'm like god I think so. I I feel for, for as negative as we started out on these, we've been quite positive on them. Like the book as a whole? I, I mean these chapters specifically. Oh yeah, no. I When I when I responded to you asking how I liked them with, I thought they were pretty good. I meant that very genuinely. Oh, okay. It's just, I feel like th- there is a lot of really good stuff in these. It is just dragged down by how underwhelming bass sex is. That's that's the main problem, I would say. Like mm-hmm. everything around Bass Exit, did we talk about? Yeah, we kind of did. We we um, was there anything else in Chapter Twenty Nine that really happened apart from Carter seeing like Zia's spirit? Or uh, no, it's it's there's like there's the moment where Bast talks to them about how oh I I kind of see you as my own, and right. then Carter goes onto the back, and that's it. It's a very short chapter. Right, okay, I just want to make sure. I guess Khufu uh, can drive an RV, but that's the only other thing. Oh yeah, we get some, some hashtag great Khufu content. Uh, and, uh, oh, the retur- like, like, like we predicted, uh, the, like we predicted, the return of Philip of Macedonia. That's true. I wasn't expecting him to turn into a wax crocodile. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. Everything is like wax nowadays. Everything is wax. Speaking speaking of wax creatures, shall shall we wrap things up? Yeah, I think that sounds good. Uh, and uh, stick around. Uh, we've got a special announcement about the Patreon. It's true. Twitter.com slash unwisegirls. Got all our links. Did I say gots? Whatever. Um, <laughs> it's our link to our Discord server, our Patreon, our email, our own personal Twitters, all that um for uh if you want to help us out you can leave us a rating review five stars really helps 
Or you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash unwisegirls. For a dollar a month, and this is the the new thing, we have new we have new rules. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll be updating them after this episode goes out. That's right. So for one dollar a month in our Discord server, you will get the role of Whittle Doe being You you will become just like Philip of Macedonia, a, a, a little doe creature. Just like Philip of Macedonia, just like Doughboy, you will be a bit of a you will be a shab tea of ours. Yeah. Uh, for three dollars a month, you'll get the special role on our Discord server of Big Ba Energy. <laughs> I forgot the. I think that's. I still think that's funny. Um, Thank you. We we made that before. Like these these chapters have Sadie literally having like Big Ba Energy and having her bar grow to like four hundred feet tall. So I yeah, guess you the, get that power. Yeah, this that scene is like really good, especially for like the vague tension of like, is my bar actually gonna crush the anyway? Um, <laughs> Uh, and also, up, up, along with that role, you get access to all of our bonus content, including our our currently bi-weekly, but should eventually return to weekly uh, bonus mm-hmm. show. We're, we're like in the tail end of Act 5 of Homestuck. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. And by the tail end, I mean like a thousand pages left, I think. Fuck me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe just a few hundred. And for and for five dollars a month, you'll receive one singular Bast head pat pass. Use it wisely. It, it's a precious resource. But also, it's not singular. If you do it monthly, you get you, you get, you get it every renewed month. every month. That's right. Uh, still use it wisely. Be careful. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, uh, access to all our bonus content and a special thank you at the end of episodes. Speaking of this week, uh, we'd like to thank uh, Mercy. Wanaka friend and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say at the end of every single episode, see you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye. Bye.